Good evening again, and thank you for being here. We are grateful for the presence of each of you. We hope and pray that you've had a great day. We're thankful for all that has taken place here today. And as was said a minute ago, we want to keep our hearts and minds in prayer for our elders, Brother D.O. and Brother Billy and Brother Jace, as they work together. And we pray that God will richly bless them and that they will have many productive years laboring together. Tonight in our study, we're going to be looking at 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. Last week in our study, Jared had the opportunity to talk about King Hezekiah. And I appreciate Jared and the lessons that he has been preaching and all the good work that he does. We're thankful for him and his family. And I appreciate so very much his willingness to preach and teach, to lead singing, and uh, just has a lot of ability. And I'm very grateful for that. And so thank you, Jared. Tonight, we're going to be talking about King Josiah. And I guess the thing that really stands out to me about Josiah was the fact that at a very early age in life, he welded tremendous influence in the hearts and lives of the children of Israel. And that says to me that we have the opportunity to be salt and light in a darkened world of sin. And so tonight I invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 22 beginning. And what I want to do first and foremost is to just read to you what I believe to be some statements that relate to the character of Josiah and really lend insight into the heart of this young man. Remember, Josiah had a wicked father and a wicked grandfather. His great-grandfather, however, was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the great kings in the history of the Israelite nation. And sometimes we ask the question, how can good parents have children that don't turn out so well? I think that's a great question. And what it says to me is we all have the ability to make choices in life. Sometimes, despite the influence that has been exerted on us in our younger years, sometimes we make poor decisions in life, and as a result of that, we find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And so look, if you would, at 2 Kings chapter 22. I want to read what is said about him at the tender age of eight, and then I want to turn over to chapter 23 and note what is said to him at the conclusion of his life. So the text says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, died an untimely death. Look at verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, here is a young man that welded tremendous influence. At the age of 26, he sets about to bring about what we would call a restoration to try to turn the nation around. Now, if you look at the New Testament, there's a young man that is pictured in the writings of Paul, a fellow by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young evangelist. And when the Apostle Paul penned his final letter, you remember he told Timothy to preach the Word. Now, Paul recognized death was imminent. And so you think about, okay, here is one of the great soldiers of the cross. He's about to depart this life and to step out into, into eternity. And you ask the question, okay, who's going to fill the shoes of Paul? I mean, you talk about some big shoes to fill. 
And yet Paul said to Timothy, I want you to preach the word. You preach it when people like it, when they don't like it. Down in verse 5, he would say, you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. And then he would say, fulfill your ministry. And so Paul placed a lot of responsibility into the hands of Timothy. And back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, at verse 12, Paul had told Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but you be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In other words, Timothy, you set the standard for how New Testament Christians are to live. So young people have a tremendous opportunity. I think about all the young people we have here. We've got some great, great young people that can ultimately impact not just this community, but a lot of various places throughout the world as years go by. Now, turn over, if you would, to chapter 23. And note, if you would, verse 25. The writer said, Now before him, that's before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Now, wasn't it God who said through Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that the nation of Israel, they were to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. And he said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you are to teach them diligently to your children. Do you think it's possible Josiah had a good mother or had a mother that maybe instilled in him? the truth of Almighty God. It says that before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. So you talk about the character of Josiah. Here was a man that demonstrated, a young man that demonstrated what we would call sterling character, a man of God. And when Paul wrote to Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul would say, but you, O man of God. Timothy was a young man, but he was still described by Paul as a man of God. Today, whether you're young or old, you can be a man of God, a woman of God. That's a wonderful thought. Now, with that being said, let's go back and look at chapter 22. As you begin to unfold this text, first and foremost, to understand that under the leadership of Josiah, repairs were being made to the temple, that is, to the building of God. And you look at the history of the Israelite nation, you think about the splendor of Solomon's temple. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 22, the Bible tells us, as they were making repairs, they recovered, the text tells us, that Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law. And so they recovered the word of Almighty God. Now, that raises a number of questions. Number one, how in the world could they have misplaced the word of the living God? Somebody said one time, things that are of great value to us, we don't lose. If something's really important to you, if you deem something to be extremely valuable, don't you exercise a lot of care and caution? You want to make sure that you know where that particular object is or thing is? God's Word ought to be special to us. Now, 
the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, was in a, what we would call, a tailspin. They were spiraling out of control. They were about to go into captivity. As a matter of fact, God had said back in chapter, well, don't, go back and look if you would at chapter 21. Because of the evil of Manasseh, the king, God said in 2 Kings chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, Behold, I'm bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So God here is saying, look, Judah, the southern kingdom, your time's coming. Because of their evil, their ungodly ways, they were going into captivity. Seventy years of Babylonian captivity. God would spare a remnant so that it might bring the Christ into the world. But they had lost the word of Almighty God. You know, God had things in place that should have kept the nation of Israel on track. The king ought to have been a spiritual leader. Let me just call attention to a passage. Go back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy for a minute. And look, if you would, at Deuteronomy chapter 17. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, God outlines the conduct of those who would later occupy the throne of Israel. And so beginning in verse 14 and following, he sets forth some of the parameters for those who would function as king. But drop down and look at verse 18. And you think about safeguards that are in place to keep people faithful to Almighty God. What then is the safeguard to keep the church of Christ in the 21st century faithful to Almighty God? The safeguard is to make sure that we have God's Word guiding us on a daily basis. And so here's what Moses wrote. It shall be when he, that is the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he, his children, in the midst of Israel. Well, what happened? Why was it, when you look at the history of the northern kingdom, you had bad king after bad king after bad king. You look at the southern kingdom, and they didn't fare very much better. I mentioned a moment ago, Manasseh, the grandfather to Josiah, his father Ammon, wicked kings, ungodly kings. And so they had lost the book of the law. So look again at what the text says in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. And really I think what we're saying here is the Bible, the Bible had lost value in the eyes of the people. Could I ask you a question tonight? Is it not the case when we talk about 
the world in which we live, the Bible has lost its luster. In the hearts and lives of people young and old in this nation, we as a nation of people no longer see the value of God's holy word permeating our lives. And because of that, we see fallout, don't we? It does not take an Einstein to realize that our nation, nations around the world, are not being guided by the Word of the living God. And then when you bring that over into the spiritual realm, and you talk about the church, the Lord's church, sadly, some congregations are no longer allowing the Word of God to be that beacon of light, to guide them in the paths of righteousness. Whenever that happens... Apostasy occurs, doesn't it? So, the text says, verse 8, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave, and rather, Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And then the text says in verse 9 that Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphat read it before the king. And so you have the reading of the divine word of the living God. Now look at the response beginning in verse 11. In verse 11 the Bible says, It happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Josiah was rattled by what he heard, and rightly so. Here were people that had neglected the commands of Almighty God. And there were repercussions. There were consequences to that. When we ignore the commands of God, is it not the case that there are consequences to our actions? Didn't Moses set forth a principle in Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, that every seed brings forth after its own kind? And you remember in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, Hosea writing to the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom went into Assyrian captivity in about 722, 721. It's been said before, I've said it here, I want to say it again. If there's anything we've ever learned from history, we haven't learned from history. The southern kingdom didn't learn from her sister, the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom went into captivity, and the southern kingdom, they're going into captiv captivity. Why? Because they neglected the word of the living God. And so, here's Hosea, writing to the northern kingdom. And you think about the plight of the nation. They had gotten to a point where God said to the prophet in, in Hosea chapter 4, about verse 17, He said, Ephraim has her idols, let her alone. There comes a point in time. When we set sail and we say we're going a certain direction, you know what God will say? Have it your way. God's not going to intervene. So Hosea said, the Lord brings a charge, has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There's no truth, there's no mercy, there's no knowledge of God in the land. Because of that, he said there is swearing, lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. He said they break all restraint. Now that's what happens when people ignore the will of God. And you look at the southern kingdom. And what you find in the southern kingdom is the same thing you had in the northern kingdom. Idolatry and immorality, and they go hand in hand. 
Do you know why our nation is adrift today? Because we have said we know better than God. So we have embraced what I would call pagan idolatry. Not only that, but we've also demonstrated immorality in every sector of society. Now the church is to be a beacon of light. The nation of Israel was to have been a witness to the true living God. And yet, they failed in that respect in many ways. And so, note if you would, in verse 12, the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go inquire the Lord. Now listen to what he said. He said, I want you to go and to inquire the Lord, number one, for me. Josiah was worried about how this impacted his life. When we read and study the Word of God, first and foremost, who does it apply to? Self, doesn't it? Sadly, sometimes when God's Word is preached, we're thinking about our neighbor or somebody else rather than taking, taking emphasis to our own life. Paul said, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. So, to recognize that God's Word speaks to me. Remember years ago, preaching in a meeting one time, and a brother met me at the door, an elder. And he said, I'm going to tell you what somebody said a long time ago. He said, there was a fellow that showed up for a gospel meeting, and as he got up to leave, as he made his way to the back door, he looked at the preacher and he said, Brother, I tell you what, if they'd have been here, you'd have told them tonight. Then take inventory of his own life. And that's where we are sometimes when it comes to spiritual things. How does this apply to my neighbor? How does it apply to people in my house? Well, how does it apply to me individually? So, Josiah said, inquire the Lord for me. And then listen, not just for me, but for the people and for all Judah. Josiah recognized he had a responsibility. Not only was there personal responsibility on his part to God, but there was responsibility on the part of Josiah when it came to the people, to the southern kingdom, to Judah. We just read a minute ago, Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's hard to rise above your leadership. That's true when it comes to the congregation. That's true when it comes to a nation. Leadership impacts the lives of people, doesn't it? Says something about the humility of Josiah, doesn't it? Josiah said, look, I want you to go and inquire the Lord on my behalf. And not just my behalf, but also for the people and for Judah. And so, here's what he said. Concerning the words of this book that has been found, for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Now, if you go back and look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, 30, God said to the children of Israel in the long ago, if you'll obey my voice, if you will keep my covenant, I will bless you. But if you do not, God said, I will curse you. In chapter 30, Moses writing there, and Moses prophetically looks to that point in time in the history of the Israelite nation 
when they would go into captivity. And do you know why they would go into captivity? Because they ignored the word of the living God. They paid a heavy price for that. Josiah knew that. He knew that because of what had been read in his hearing, they were facing some tough, tough times. And so, look at verse 14. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, Messiah, went to Halda the prophetess. And the text says in verse 14, they spoke with her. And she said to them, now what she's going to do is give a report of what the law has to say. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, when God speaks, we need to listen, don't we? Whatever God has to say, I want to hear it. Not only do I want to listen to what God has to say, but I want to make sure I do it. So, she said, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Well, why? Because they've forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, that is, to Josiah, who sent you to inquire the Lord in this manner, you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought word to the king. So, Josiah receives this report. And God basically says, look, what this book says is going to take place. There's a lesson there for us. Whatever God says He will do, He will do it. These people had neglected the law of God. They had neglected His Word. Just because they had neglected the Word of God and just because they had chosen to walk away from God did not mean that He would not fulfill what He said He would do in His Word. Now we may not like it, but whatever God says He's going to do, we can, we can mark it down, we can bank on it. He will do it. God is a God of His Word. And when He says He'll do something positively, He'll do it. If He says He'll stand by us, He'll be with us, He'll forgive us, He'll bless us, He will. But He also says, if you ignore my will, if you choose a different path, then you're going to face some tough times. You can, you can bank on it. He'll fulfill that too. Now look at chapter 23. In chapter 23, Josiah begins what we would probably say in, in our day and time, a restoration. 
Josiah has a heart for God, and because he has a heart for God, a desire to do what's right. The restoration that begins under Josiah is something that ought to cause us to appreciate. So look at chapter 23, verse 1. The king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. So here's the king. And just picture this. Imagine here is the king of the southern kingdom. And he opens the word of God and he stands before the people and he begins to read. No commentary, no interpretation, but rather this is what God in his word has said. You think that have a powerful effect in the hearts and lives of people? Sure. Verse 3. The text says, Then the king stood by a pillar, made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep His commandments. Specifically, note if you will, Josiah takes leadership seriously, enters into a covenant relationship with God to follow the Lord, to keep His commandments, His testimonies, His statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people took their stand for the covenant. What that says to me is Josiah had a deep love for Almighty God. The motivating factor behind our willingness to be submissive to the commands of God has to be love, doesn't it? Everything has to be motivated by genuine love for God, the desire to seek Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind as the record says. And so in chapter 23, you have Josiah leading the charge, trying to eradicate the idolatry and immorality that had become so rampant in the nation. Matter of fact, down in verse 15 of chapter 23, the text says, The altar that was at Bethel, the high place which Jeroboam the son of Nebat had made, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place. He broke down, burned the high place, and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden, the wooden image. Jeroboam, you remember Jeroboam? The one that set up two golden calves, one in Dan to the north, Bethel to the south. That was still a plague in the lives of the nation. So in order to try to bring about this restoration, reformation, Josiah's got to go all the way back to the efforts that took place under Jeroboam and eradicate the evil that had been enacted by him. And then I want you to drop down very quickly. I know our time's almost gone. Before we look at the latter part of chapter 23, I want to just make an observation. One of the things that we talk about in Churches of Christ is Restoration Christianity. Restoration Christianity is very important because, as you well know, when you look at the first century church that was planted in the city of Jerusalem and began to grow 
That infant church later spread throughout all the world. Over time, there was a great apostasy. There were men who came on the scene that wanted to try to reform what they believed had occurred under that apostasy. One of the things that grew out of the primitive church was the Catholic church. Well, later there were men who arose that again wanted to try to bring about reform. And what occurred was what we call modern day denominationalism. And then in the early 1800s, late 1700s, we read about the efforts of those, particularly in this country, that sought to bring about what we call Restoration Christianity. To simply go back, uncover all the precepts, the manuals of faith, the catechisms that had been enacted by religious leaders in days gone by. To strip all of that away and to simply go back and take the Bible as our only guide, as the only guide. Peter would say it like this, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. The design is to follow what the Bible has to say. And so you had men that sought to the best of their ability to go back and to restore the ancient church. And I believe with all my heart, as long as you have the seed of the kingdom, you have the Lord's church. Whether in seed form or reality, the kingdom will never be destroyed, as Daniel said in the long ago. Now, having said that, Drop down and look at the latter part of chapter 23, particularly verse 21. The king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Surely such a Passover had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. The Passover went all the way back to Egypt, didn't it? Children of Israel in bondage, they had been in bondage for over 400 years, and God with an outstretched arm brought them out of bondage. In Exodus chapter 12, God instituted the Passover. And one of the things that the Passover was intended to do was to remind the children of Israel of their bondage, their enslavement, and the liberty they enjoyed through the mighty hand of Almighty God. So what's the application to us today? Every first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper, as I said this morning, when we break bread, we are reminding ourselves that Jesus and Jesus alone paid the price for our sin, as Peter said, in His own body on the cross. When we partake of the fruit of the vine, the cup, we are again bringing to mind, to the fore of our mind, the fact that Jesus shed His blood so that we might enjoy forgiveness, the remission of sin. So every first day of the week as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ought to remind ourselves of the fact that at one time we had been enslaved in a life of sin. And through Jesus Christ, we have been liberated. The children of Israel, out of sight, out of mind, they had been liberated by Almighty God. And Jesus said that those who are the servants of sin, He said they are the, those who commit sin, they are the bondservants of sin. In John 8, 36, Jesus said, If the Son makes you free, 
you shall be free indeed. So with a renewed emphasis on the Lord's Supper every first day of the week to just recall the vivid scenes of Calvary and to be reminded that without the blood and body of Jesus, we would be enslaved to a life of sin. And as Paul said, we would have no hope and we would be without God in this world. That's sobering. So, King Josiah, great man, a good man, and one who exerted tremendous influence on the southern kingdom. Tonight, if you're here and you're not a member of the body of Christ, I encourage you to think about your spiritual state. I mentioned a moment ago Ephesians 2.12, where Paul said those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, they're without hope, without God. The difference, however, that can be made in your life, summed up by Paul in verse 13, when Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus you that once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. You can leave here tonight a child of God. Next Sunday morning when we meet, as a matter of fact, you could do it tonight. You could partake of the Lord's Supper and remind yourself, starting tonight, that Jesus died for you and that without Him you'd be lost. So what would you need to do? Well, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins Confess His name and then be immersed in water as they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38, verse 41. And the Bible says that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And listen, God will put you in the greatest institution known to man, the body of Christ. And that's the body God's promised to save, Ephesians 5, 23. If you're here tonight and you're not certain about your spiritual life with God. You're a Christian. You have not lived as you should. Your life's out of kilter. And you know that you need to be back in fellowship with God and His people. We would be honored to pray with you and for you tonight. God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?